are recording. This is the season finale, right? This is it. Better make it count. Welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. This is our season finale, the last podcast that we will be putting together for this year. Uh, This week's podcast is about secular music and the spiritual connections that can often be found in them. Uh, Perhaps you've been listening to the radio or listening to your favorite music artist. Uh, You weren't expecting to hear a sermon that day, but maybe you did. Uh, Maybe in listening to that music, you found that there was a deeper spiritual connection, perhaps than even what the artist intended for there to be. Uh, Maybe we're reading too much into the song. Maybe we're picking up on a hidden meeting that's lying deep in the conscious of the artist. Who knows? Uh, Today we're going to talk about those, uh, those ideas. Is there spiritual meanings to be found in music as there often is in many types of art? Uh, guys, I'll hand it over to you. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been listening to music and found a spiritual connection uh, that maybe wasn't supposed to be there? Well, you've made me think of a few things uh, from my youth, Michael, where um, there were songs that made clear references to Christ, but they were secular songs. and. Uh, um, uh, some of them, the their intent was good, but the actual message of the song was just totally off base and non-scriptural. The first one that comes to mind is the uh, 90s hit, What If God Was One Of Us? Um, and then there's also the uh, Eagles song uh, that has the lyrics, I've got a peaceful, easy feeling, or what, yeah, it's called Easy Feeling, right? Um, which obviously has a uh, spiritual messages uh, that are involved with that. Um, But as far as other secular songs, they're few and hard to come by. So I'm interested to see what you can throw away and uh, have us think about. Yeah. uh, When you're talking about this, Michael, I think about something that we've talked about several times on this podcast. And I've uh, talked about my blog about the idea that Art is commendable for its own sake. So I was actually just talking about this with Lauren right before we started uh, recording, that songs may be worth listening to just because they're a good song. The uh, That last Justin Bieber album from a few years ago at this point, fantastic album, highly recommended to everyone. If you've somehow not heard it, I don't know how you couldn't, Uh, or how you wouldn't have heard it, but that was great. I don't think there's anything particularly spiritual about it, but it's a a really good listen. Now, beyond that, there are certainly songs that uh, exist on the spectrum of spiritual content. Clearly, there are songs that are explicitly written to be Christian songs or to be spiritual songs. Uh, Chris Tomlin is our... uh, has almost monopolized that market. I don't really know if he's monopolized anything. Listen to it. Um, But uh, obviously for this episode of the podcast, we're talking about stuff that exists on the other end of the spectrum. Music that is secular in purpose, but nonetheless that there is something spiritual about it, Uh, whether they are explicitly addressing themes of God and the church uh, or other spiritual themes, or if they just happen to bring up important ideas, 
maybe like uh, Easy Feeling. I don't, I haven't listened to that song in a while, but I don't recall any language of God in it. But the idea of a, a peaceful, easy feeling, this idea of peace that can uh, resonate in your soul. Um, all I have to say, I, I think there's a lot to, that goes on here. And I, I certainly enjoy uh, music that exists at that end of the spectrum. Something where I've gained something by listening to those lyrics, even if they weren't explicitly trying to address a Christian theme. Now, we put these uh, topics together long ago, uh, and maybe it's just irony that Kanye West has just come out with his uh, all-Christian music album. Not to say that uh, this is just a side gig that he's doing, but apparently he has committed himself to Christ and said that all his uh, content will be uh, Christian um, as far as uh, being Christian appropriate um, and with messages and undertones and the whole shebang uh, from now on. So applauding him for that, just uh, I think we would all uh, agree that we hope it's genuine and we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, Michael, uh, guide us with our, our thoughts here. Sure. So I'm, I'm hearing a, a few different things. I think y'all have laid out a good dichotomy that for secular songs, and Daniel, I guess you put out a third option too, that often there are purposefully Christian songs, and we would think of those as songs, hymns, and spiritual songs as mentioned in Scripture, that sometimes we want to sing purely to praise God. While those are wonderful and part of our, uh, part of our lives as Christians, we're kind of setting those to the side for tonight. Uh, but then, Stephen, you mentioned the type of song where they explicitly mention Jesus. Uh, and then the other one is where they just kind of hint at the ideas. Um, so, so first, with songs that explicitly mention Jesus, I think that um, any time a secular artist brings up God, Jesus, things that are overtly spiritual, uh, like, like the Godhead, um, they are calling on us to to give a sort of seriousness to the to the questions that they're asking, like the song "What If God Was One of Us" by Joan Osborne. Um, and we might not agree with where artists come out on asking these questions. Uh, you know, uh, Joan Osborne asked, you know, uh, "What if God was uh, What if God was one of us? Just a stranger on the bus? Uh, just a slob like one of us?" And we might, we might, you know, uh, recoil at some of the messages that they bring forward. But I do think that songs like that offer an opportunity for us as Christians to have serious dialogue with those around us. You hear someone singing the song, and you, you say, please answer the question, what if God was one of us? And we as Christians are ready to answer that question because we can say God was one of us. This is a reality rather than a question that we have to wonder about. Um, so, and then Daniel, you brought up the other alternative where uh, they're not mentioning Jesus specifically, but they're asking questions that can only be answered in spiritual ways. Um, so let me kind of uh, offer up another question on, on that one, on, on that idea. What are, what does a song have to get at in order for it to cry out for spiritual answers? Um, I'll put it forward first that there there needs to be a a a, a very human cry for um, for being seen uh, that 
that the that the artist is asking a question or putting forward a problem um, that they can't find answers for. Uh, what what else can you think of that offers that question? Maybe I'm not totally understanding the question, Michael, and correct me if I'm if I'm off base here. But yeah, certainly there are songs that are a little bit more explicit or readily available in that way. So if someone is seeing a song about this existential crisis, kind of like what you're discussing. Mm. Sure. Yeah, that definitely that can have spiritual ideas and undertones to it. I think, but theology is, is the study in some way. It was originally before philosophy was theology was the study of everything. Uh, mm. Everything falls under its umbrella. So you can sing, you can sing about romance. What I would guess, eighty uh, percent of the songs on the radio are about about um, wooing a, a man or a woman. Then all of those fall under the umbrella of theology because God invented, God invented, God created humans for love and romance. Um, really, anything that you can imagine, you can find uh, a theological core to it um but maybe maybe i i've kind of misdirected your question no i think that's that's well said that um the most popular theme of music often um is very directly related to a um a type of love that can only be fully experienced in light of christ yeah, um, when you said the most common type of music, I thought you were going to be hitting at rhythm and blues, which uh, uh, blues, as it describes, is often a, a cry out for a, some, some sort of a need or a, a desire, um, something has gone wrong in someone's life. And whether they take the lyrics to the point of calling out to someone else, you can see that possibly there's the absence of God in that person's life. Um, whether they realize it or not, um, a, a lot of uh, rhythm and blues has to do with uh, someone that they love. And um, if you want to take that uh, relationship for just its uh, sexual content, then a lot of times you'll see the artist uh, uh, be misguided with how they are pursuing love. Um, obviously, just sexual immorality is the best way to describe what a lot of the songs are about. Um, but that, when you said the most popular um, types of music, I think that rhythm and blues is found in all sorts of different types of music and um, has its uh, those undertones and many different genres. Um, but yeah, but Steven, plays off what you're saying. You, uh, your comments about the blues got me thinking that um, as three semi-bald men, we may be uniquely qualified to talk about the, the decline of modern music, uh, about music these days. I'm wondering, do you, so, so talking about the blues, we see in this older form of the genre, the genre's roots, these very 
overtly spiritual themes. Not maybe not necessarily Christian, though that's certainly present. But uh, this more sophisticated exploration of uh, people's sorrow and their their feelings and their uh, how they are handling the world around them. Uh, you see similar things in a lot of uh, early music pre rock and roll, um, but then even throughout the 60s and 70s, you'll also see. Uh, while we still we have this huge uptick in songs about sex and romance, uh, drugs and rock and roll, obviously that all goes together. You do get a lot more. I'm trying to think of the best way of phrasing it. Just a, a lot more thoughtful songs, a lot more political songs, trying to deal with big issues. And if without going to an indie music market today, I think you might be hard pressed to find music like that. What do y'all think about that? Do you think that modern music has lost some of its relevance and its spiritual depth, or am I, am I being too old and miserly. I, I think that it's fair to say that when you are trying to make music for the masses, you're not going to hit the bullseye on the head quite as often. Um, that said, I think that when you do hit the bullseye, um, the songs, some of the songs we'll talk about in just a minute, um, you can't say it better. So, so, so a song that does hit the mark, that does cry out to the human soul, uh, to the human situation, um, will be popular because it's hitting at truth. And so when it hits on these spiritual overtones, uh, it might not have succeeded in a mass market except for it's hitting on what's right or, or a, a deeper need. Right. Well, let me say that um, we first need to let our our audience know that there are probably just as many, if not way more bad songs that have bad messages than there are songs with good messages. Um, things like, uh, you can't hold me down type of a message. I'm going to do what I want. Uh, I'm going to live for tonight. Uh, things along uh, a lot of, especially since the nineties, a lot of, uh, party songs, if you will, uh, that have the upbeat tempo, trying to get people up, that, and that type of mentality of this is um, a song that's going to bring life and uh, change your perspective, uh, change your attitude about how life has got you down and um, you're going to go and get what you want type of a thing. Very selfish attitude of promoting um, you got to do whatever it is uh, that's going to make you happy. We hear sermons about this type of uh, mentality all the time, and we can say it's a generational thing, but I think that the older generations have shifted to this way of thinking as well, or, um, or else they would have taught the younger generations better. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, I think it's just completely across the board that people um, have a selfish at, uh, attitude and they want to hear those things praised in their music which is why certain songs become very popular um, and so in those songs you do not find God and I think we are fooling ourselves to think that we would yeah Stephen I, I think you're making a really good point that what we often classify as 
generational generational classifications that you know this generation thought this way and this this generation thought that way for the most part what we're identifying is just mutations of sin uh, that this generation uh, found this way to you know take God off the throne and this generation's doing it in this way um, it, at the same time there's there's some redeeming qualities that tend to track across generations but um, you know, uh, that's, that's God trying to fight back at, at the cultural norms. So, um, yeah. I was go going ahead. to say that, that, and you'll see shifts in priorities between, uh, like, uh, uh, the today's 20 year olds are going to find importance in taking care of the earth and things like that. And being responsible towards certain aspects, but also being irresponsible with a lot of other things in their life. Um, but if you want to take a look at what is the theme of some of the songs in the movie Grease that came out, in, what was that, the early 80s uh, or late 70s? Late 70s. Yeah, and uh, it's about hooking up. And so when you get down to it, it's about sexual immorality. What are the songs about now? Sexual immorality. So the things that uh, was a temptation for the youth in the late 70s, the same thing that's a temptation for the youth of today. So uh, I thought you were going with like um, these phases of life are going to offer uh, similar temptations, but different shifts and trends and priorities are going to show that that's where we can actually point the finger and say that today's generation struggles with this. Well, okay, well, your generation struggles with that. Nobody's necessarily better than the other. But, yeah. yeah. Um. Well said. So uh, my thought, if, if, if y'all want to go along with this, is that we can, uh, I'll pick out some songs and we can talk about them. Um, the list that I have is actually from a sermon series that I heard a while back. It's, uh, it was by Ken Durham. Uh, is, uh, I'm sorry, say again? The not Tim Keller? No. Oh, man. Man, I wish, wish Tim Keller would have preached a sermon like this. Um, no, this is Ken Durham. Uh, he, uh, I think, the last I heard from him, he was a preaching professor at Lipscomb, um, but I, I'm, I'm not sure if he's still there. But anyway, I heard this from him about 11 years ago over the course of several weeks. And um, basically what he did was he had an intro sermon where he talked about uh, Paul using uh, the poetry of you know, his secular audience to relate to them and saying, you know, what, what's the equivalent today? And he talked about how we should be able to use songs. And I think he used the, the phrase, flip the script uh, from Eminem from 8 Mile at least two dozen times throughout his, uh, his sermon series. He would continually go back to this idea of, of changing the way, the changing the paradigm that people were using to view the world around them and using the popular messages of their day to do that. And so... He attempted to do this by going through the top 10 songs, according to Rolling Stone magazine, you know, from rock and roll history. And so uh, let's, let's open up the first one. I'll, I'll give you the song, and then I'll give you a brief snippet into the way he thought through it, and I invite both of y'all to respond. So his first song, what, uh, number one song, is Respect. Uh, Words originally by Otis Redding, but sung most famously by Aretha Franklin. And the song is about someone who is crying out to be recognized for the value that they have. 
um, that they feel that they're being disrespected by their loved one, by their spouse, or by a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And uh, they're saying, if you just respect me, uh, I'm not asking for much. That's all I want. And uh, Durham said that what he recognizes in this song is a, is a call back to the reason why the person deserves respect. And then he brings up a bunch of scriptures about the image of God, uh, that someone deserves respect purely because they are formed in God's image. And he, he goes on from there. Um, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Uh, what, what do y'all think? So I think it'd be interesting for us to try this out where one person tries to find the Christian meaning hidden in it and the other person tries to do the opposite. What's wrong with the song? Right. You're well, too pessimistic, Stephen. Yeah, I, I'm okay with, with y'all trying to guess the spiritual meaning, but yeah. Finding so I the, be pessimist every time, I promise. Um, I, I, uh, I like that song. And when you started thinking, or when you mentioned it, I was thinking it has a very political message, spiritual and political. Um, and I imagine it was probably the same at the time when it was originally released and was popular as it would be now, uh, the, these ideas of respect for, um, people of color for black people and respect for women, uh, two obviously, uh, big topics in the political arena today. I imagine that was probably at the heart of that song when it first mm -hmm. came out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Aretha Franklin singing it, uh, rather than Otis Redding had a completely different uh, connotation to it where it was, I think, a uh, one of those uh, girl power songs that Spice Girls uh, really popular for having. So that was kind of the the uh, ladies' anthem of the time, if you will. And what I was going to say is, as a Christian, if somebody's not giving you respect, what are we told to do? We're supposed to turn the other cheek? Does she make any mention of that? No. So that's all I got to say about that one. All right. So uh, our second song is uh, Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. Uh, I'll, I'll read, uh, you know, when I'm driving in my car and that man comes on the radio and he's telling me more and more about some useless information supposed to fire my imagination. I can't get, no, 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 no. I can't get no satisfaction. Um, why don't y'all, tr let's try it once, try to guess the spiritual message here. Stephen, you try to guess this one because I actually shared this one with Daniel earlier. Um, <laughs> thanks for stumping me. I, I, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, I, I don't see it. Okay. So, uh, Daniel, I shared with you, this with you earlier and the spiritual connection he makes here is to the woman at the well, um, that, that Jesus, uh, Jesus is, is talking to the woman and throughout her life, she has tried to find satisfaction in different men around her. But what she was lacking, the, the type of satisfaction that she was actually looking for, was something that could only be found in him. And you know, the, perhaps the Rolling Stones are best voicing for a secular audience that we live in a world where 
I tried all the good, it's kind of an Ecclesiastes message. I've tried everything under the sun and I can't find satisfaction. And so it, it offers this empty question that has a, um, has a, has a hole that can only be filled by Jesus. I'm surprised I'm sure Stephen right out of the worship service. <laughs> I'm surprised that Stephen didn't think of uh, John chapter four immediately upon hearing yeah, the Rolling Stones title. What's our next one? Okay, so uh, the next one I think is uh, overtly obvious. It's uh, "Imagine" by John Lennon. Um, I think, it, it, you know, perhaps the most overtly spiritual line of the song is, imagine there's no heaven. It's, it's easy if you try. Above us, only sky. Imagine imagine all the people li- living for today. Um, what's y'all's reaction to that song? My reaction is instantly negative. Well, a lot of people thought it was heresy at the time. Why would you uh, question the thought of God in heaven? But um, it, it basically is saying, think about what your life would be if there was no God, you would have no hope. Um, and a lot of the, uh, the point of that song is to get people thinking outside of the box uh, about what things would be like uh, or all the things that we commonly take for granted um, and to basically rethink um, some of the things that you just think uh, that you just take as they are. Um, There's a lot of hope in the song. Uh, Imagine these things so that we can achieve a better world and that's certainly the message of the kingdom as presented in the gospels yeah so far we're taking a lot of uh songs by people that did not have a very good name with the christian audiences you know especially john lennon saying he was more famous than jesus christ so uh, we'll see if we can improve from here yeah i mean um i i think on that one kind of like the what if God was one of us song uh, when there is a song that has so much traction uh, in the popular sphere, we as Christians need to have an answer uh, to say, you know, if you imagine a world like that, it's not the good that you and John Lennon think that it should be. It's actually bad. You know, it, it turns into something that is undesirable to live in. Well, in the entire premise of this conversation that we're having is basically a John Chris stand-up routine or YouTube video before it's time, because this is talking about, uh, he does jokes about how Harry Potter, popular movie, and Christians will find every way they can to rip it to shreds because of witchcraft, etc., and Christians during the time of the Beatles, as soon as he made a Christian reference in what could be questioned as negative or however you wanted to, uh, to take it, they're going to take it negatively. So, continue. Well, so, I mean, I, I want to, let's stay on that thought for a second. I mean, uh, the purpose of engaging in culture is to, is to find redemption, is to, um, to, 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 to look for Jesus in everything that we do. 
And so John Christ makes a game out of it and says, oh, well, I can do this with anything. Um, what I'm saying, it, like the reason we're doing these with the most popular songs is because these are the most salient messages for culture. Um, and so I think we would be surprised if we didn't see something that was deep and true about them. So anyway, um, I will not harp on that. Uh, the, this next one, I will not, uh, I won't tiptoe around because I, I think that the, the connection is, is deep in, uh, in what it is. So the song is one by U2. Um, and in, in the song, um, he, you know, he's, he, it's a call for unity. Of course, Bono himself came from Ireland where they were experiencing all sorts of divisions like Protestant Catholic and uh, religious wars that uh, continued for decades. Um, and Durham here uh, says, you know, aren't we in churches of Christ familiar with another person um, who was making a call for unity? and who had his, his own roots uh, in, in the British Isles. And so here he's talking about uh, Thomas Campbell. Um, he was an Irish-American uh, preacher and writer. And so here, here in the sermon, uh, Durham would bring out the declaration and address uh, where they were kind of setting out for the first time that we are dissolving um, our denominational heritage and we are just trying to be a member of the one church. Um, so anyway, just bringing it to our conversation, uh, can we see a message of unity for the church in secular music, like one by you two? Surely. Yes. Uh, U two is, they're the prime example for this whole conversation. Maybe mm -hmm. Switchfoot. I don't know. Of uh, a band that is very much trying to bring good spiritual insight and they're they're clearly coming from a uh, christian are, are they catholic right okay a catholic background um there are others who may be trying to deal explicitly with uh, deep issues of um of the human situation but none more so than you two and none with as rich a Christian background to match their secular appeal and merit of their songs. Some mm. might even say that U2 is the best band ever. Yeah. Who knows? I can't disagree with you on that. <laughs> They're up there. Um, now, Michael, I think that you and I have had conversations this probably several years ago about how pretty much any U2 song that you listen to there, it, it just has euphemisms of Christianity sprinkled throughout all of them. I say all of them, I probably find a handful that don't, but uh, the vast majority of U2 songs do straight up reference Christ in, um, in an indirect way. There's no getting by it, like City of Blinding Lights, that one obviously is a reference to heaven I, I we can spend all night youtube uh has christianity all over the method of how they put these songs together and i think it's mainly bono that is the influence of how that it comes to play because he writes the majority uh, vast majority of all their songs where i don't think the rest of the members of the band are 
uh, even close to as religious as he is. And so uh, kind of need to give credit where credit's due. So we're pretty close to being out of time, Michael. How do we want to wrap up the entire season of the podcast in, in this episode? We tie it all up. Um, just for those listening at home, let me just list off the other songs real quick so you can make your own spiritual connections. Uh, like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. Uh, My Generation, uh, I think it's by The Who, right? Um, Help by The Beatles. The Day the Music Died, um, uh, let's see, Love Supreme, uh, Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Um, so those were the songs that Durham went, went through in his, uh, in his series. Interesting list. Yeah, interesting. Well, it's, it's, real, it's the list from the Rolling Stone. So, um, interesting list by them, I should say. <laughs> so I think it's, it's appropriate to end the season just on a broader um, – conversation on the the title of the blog Daniel that you started uh, religion and story um, why is it that we keep coming back to stories throughout all of our seasons we've tried to have at least one or two podcasts where we talk about uh, Christians interacting with um, popular culture artistic culture why Oh, this is a question. I thought you were going to give a, a much more articulate answer than I could ever no. provide. Uh, Stephen and I, we go back and forth on this uh, fairly regularly, and maybe and he can give a, a different opinion now. But uh, I, I think there's a lot to be gained from, one, just appreciating and enjoying story and art and that broad category of of like we said the, the human experience but as this episode has been dedicated to i think that there's more specifically insights to be gained not only um, in how we can navigate culture and communicate with those around us who don't share our convictions but i think that artists and those who are storytellers uh, have a, a way of perceiving reality and describing reality that will help us in in constructing our own faith and uh, image of ourselves and of the world so what are you thinking um it's good that we have brought the focus back of stories to where they should be we have seen sermons become more and more uh, structured where you're taking current events or uh common knowledge or storylines that uh, are popular to people's thoughts at that time and you direct them back to christ which does sadly speak to people's thoughts are too easily led astray from what is important that these are the things that are important in our lives and somebody else is having to bring us back where um this should be something that isn't happening where God should be the focus and we should be putting God into these, um, these other stories. Um, does that make sense that I think the story for a lot of Christians have become the thing that is more consuming in their life. And that's the issue that 
the stories have uh, that that is what makes up the, uh, our water cooler talk, if you will. Those are the things we're talking about. We're not talking about price as we should, and we need to do a better job of bringing price back into um, the stories. So uh, I'll wrap us up here. I, I think that Stephen, as you're talking, you know, you use the the phrase water cooler conversations. As we struggle as Christians to uh, evangelize, to share our faith, uh, we should take a cue from Paul in that we should see the messages that those around us are hearing and ha use those as cultural currency to start conversations and to quickly lead to the important questions that they can't answer without having Jesus as a part of the conversation. Uh, religion and story necessarily play together because stories are uh, are useless without a religious uh, context, subtext to them. Um, and so, so we will see that others are more open to the Christian message when we, when we lead with a story that they're already familiar with. This has been a good season. I'm glad we were able to end on a conversation like this. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners for going through all of these podcasts with us this season. And uh, we've always enjoyed coming together for these conversations, and we're looking forward to more of them in the future.